and we'll put that out for you this week. Hope you'll take time to to watch those, comment, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Absolutely. Whatever else we're supposed to say. I don't have my sheet. <laughs> Thank you for supporting the Brew and Shaver Sports Podcast. Your go-to source for... <laughs> For silly. No, sports. I meant sports. <laughs> it's time for the Brew and Shavers Sports Podcast. Welcome back, sports fans. With the month of November rapidly coming to an end, it not only means Christmas is coming, it means the bowl season is right around the corner. But before we have bowl games, we have conference championship games and Darren we've got a lot to talk about in terms of various conferences the games we're going to be making picks we have a full episode for you today so Darren I hope you've caught your breath and I hope you got a drink of water before we started because we're going to jump right in it's time to take off running (laughs) in this season of giving and receiving a number of players are so graciously making themselves available to new teams with As of our recording, 197 players have already entered their names into the transfer portal. That's, that's pretty incredible. I mean, that's, that's even if you knowing that there's multiple players uh, per teams on some of them, but, but still you're averaging more than a player per team that has already said, you know, in, in less than three days, basically, all right, time for me to move on. That's that's a pretty incredible stat. And and the the incredible part or the even more amazing part is you know that number is going to grow exponentially over the process of the next uh, what what the the portal's open for like a 10-day window or something like that. It's going to be an incredible number by, by the time we we get to the end of that portal window. So contact the coach of your favorite team and ask him, what do you want for Christmas this year? And then dig deep into that that pocket or write a check and contribute to your program's NIL fund. And so yep. you can get your coach that player he wants. There, there's a lot of pretty well-known players who've already put their names out there. For Absolutely. us in the SEC, we our ears perked up when we heard Will Rogers announce yep. that he was entering into the transfer portal. A stellar quarterback who's had an up-and-down career and Darren, I don't know if you could – it'd be tough to argue that anyone has dealt with more emotional trauma no. in a college career than Will Rogers, losing his coach, Mike Leach, getting a new coach, Zach Arnett, who doesn't even make it through a season. That's a ton of upheaval. And, and you know, that's an emotional upheaval, like you pointed out, but also from from the football side of it to come into a system that is one of the most unique systems in all of football and adapt to that well, only to have the emotional trauma of, of having your coach and, and one of the architects of that system uh, die. And then you, you dealing with all of that emotion in a new head coach, you have a new coordinator with a completely new system and, and you know, there just could not have been much crossover between the two because the air rate is such a unique offense. So learning verbiage, learn everything was such he he probably entering the transfer portal portal, no matter what ends up happening next, probably felt some sense of relief to just be like, whew, 
goodness gracious, at least I've been able to make a decision and I can just kind of sit on that decision for a little bit. Cause that's like, you, like you were saying, that's what a year, I mean, just the last year, what a year he's had. Yeah. He's a, he's somebody you might want to take a chance on. Uh, he definitely has the skill set, and um, I, I think I think he'll be a, a welcome addition to just about any team. I think he'll definitely be a hot commodity in the in the transfer portal. I'm sure he's already gotten uh, more than one text and or phone call. <laughs> you think that's happening, Darren? Oh, oh. no, no, no! I, I, I misspoke. <laughs> All of them are waiting until the portal officially opens. No one has talked to anyone. <laughs> Michigan's already called to see what signals he may know from other teams. No. <laughs> they didn't have to call. They already have them. They have them all. That's right. <laughs> well, you know, they think thinking now, well, we might be playing Georgia. You got any signals for us? Anything you want to throw? <laughs> we can make this work for both of us. <laughs> We're going to jump over to college basketball for about 45 seconds because this week is the ACC-SEC Challenge, and there's some marquee matchups this week. The eighth-ranked Miami Hurricanes are, are traveling to Lexington to face the 12th-ranked Kentucky Wildcats on the men's side, as well as the 10th-ranked uh, Tennessee Volunteers uh, facing the 17th-ranked UNC Tar Heels. So some, some big games coming up this week on the men's side, but let's not forget the women as well because the number one ranked South Carolina Gamecocks women's team will be playing the 24th ranked UNC Tar Heels and the seventh ranked LSU Tigers minus Angel Reese in a story that's mm. still going on. It continues to grow. Hills is facing the ninth ranked Virginia Tech Hokies. I almost forgot what Virginia Tech. <laughs> Just a Hokie from Muskogee. <laughs> There's a lot going on there with Hokie. <laughs> That's why we're moving back to college football very exactly. quickly before we butcher any more references in college basketball. Let's talk about the AP Top 25 this week, Darren. Georgia maintains the top spot followed by Texas at seven, Alabama at eight with one of the most memorable iron bowls oh. that we have ever seen in our lives. Gracious. No one will ever, ever be able to thank anything other than Alabama and Auburn. When someone says fourth and 31. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Missouri comes in at ninth. Ole Miss at 11th, OU at 12th, and the LSU Fighting Tigers coming in at 13th as we wrap up the end of this regular season and move into conference championship games. We also have a lot of action on the coaching front that we'll yes. get into a, a little bit later. But for those of you, we have a few fans here who are West Virginia fans. And they've stayed with us, even though we don't cover the Big 12 very much anymore. And Dana Holgerson, who was recently let go by Houston, left West Virginia to come to Houston. And a lot of the reasons Houston released him were the reasons why West Virginia fans were so unhappy with him in Morgantown. So 
for those of you WVU fans up there, maybe a little bit of indication for you. And we definitely wanted to give you a shout out. Absolutely. Uh, because we were we were thinking of you when we saw the news that broke that Holgerson was let go by Houston. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Speaking of a little bit later, later is now. Let's talk about the coaching carousel that's going on around the country. Probably the biggest one is Mike Elko leaving mm-hmm. Duke after two seasons, a record of 16 and nine in those two seasons, uh, a marked uh, improvement because the season before he got there, they were three and nine. Absolutely. He's going actually back to Texas A&M where he served as a defensive coordinator for, for several years. A lot of good talk about this hire. A&M fans seem to be happy, even though, Darren, you realize this is a Jersey boy. This guy's from New Jersey. Yep. And he played football at Penn's. At Penn, not Penn's, Penn. The, the <laughs> Quakers. He played for the Quakers. And so he doesn't have a whole lot of experience in, in the mm-hmm. South. Uh, and so, but he does have experience with the A&M culture. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, that's the, the two things that I've heard talked about the most, uh, e- either in articles or on podcasts, that really made him stand out to A&M fans is number one uh, from from every report, every conversation that you that you you see and hear, Texas uh, high school football coaches loved him while he was at at A and M. He had zero issues uh, with any high schools. They couldn't wait for him to come in the door. Uh, there was great communication and camaraderie with every high school coach he encountered. So that's, you know, keeping the recruiting trail going as it has been under Jimbo, because you can say a lot of things about Jimbo, but you can't knock recruiting. Uh, but also there are a lot of A&M people that believe that part of the reason you can't knock recruiting under Jimbo is what Elko, Mike Elko did while he was there. The other thing is when you look at Jimbo's Texas A&M's performance with Mike Elko versus Without Mike Elko, once he moved on, it is, again, a dramatic difference. I I think that the number is, and and I apologize if I'm off, but I don't think I'm off by much. Since Mike Elko left, they've won 12 games. They they barely got into double-digit wins uh, in the two seasons since since Mike Elko left. And and that carries a lot of weight with A&M fans, not only from a defensive perspective, but what was Mike Elko adding behind the scenes from an administration organization perspective that maybe people were not aware of? Um, so I, I think people are excited about it. But I also think part of the reason that AM people are excited about it is because of the whole Mark Stoops thing. There was such a kind of an uproar. Uh, you, you almost kind of wonder if that ended up not being a PR thing that AM was afraid that Elko wouldn't be a, 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 a headline of enough, you know, a, a, a big of enough draw of a name to get it people excited that they kind of offered up somebody they thought they might not get excited about. And then, <laughs> then when that didn't go, but I also find it interesting that uh, I heard a report today and it's only come from a t- couple of different places. Uh, one, one article I read in one podcast, I heard it on that actually even, uh, Sunday afternoon, the Mike Elko thing was still a little bit in 
uh, in question that he may not leave Duke, that the uh, A&M jet sat on the tar- sat on the tarmac in North Carolina for a couple of hours past when it was supposed to because there were still some conversations and still some things being kind of outlined. Uh, so it's been a real interesting coaching uh, search for A&M. But I think it's, I think it's going to be a good hire. It may not be the most exciting hire in the world. Uh, it may not, you know, they're not going to win a national championship next year or anything like that. You don't think, but still, I think it's a good hire, a very, very smart hire on um, A&M's part. A splash hire is not always the best hire. Exactly. Perhaps A&M has learned that lesson. I, I think they got a good one. The, the Elko yeah. situation is very similar to the Mark Stoop situation. Elko could have stayed at Duke, won seven, eight games a year, and they mm-hmm. would be c- completely content with that. That's that's the situation that Mark Stoops has at Kentucky. And he, he's in a great spot. I never understood if there was interest on his part in AM, why jump into that that furnace? He he's never been there. He he's not part of the AM culture. He's established at Kentucky. He he's going to be, he's going to go down as the greatest coach that Kentucky football has ever had. On the other hand, Elko, I think, is jumping at this because he coached there. He's been in that culture. But it's going to be a very, very difficult path for for him. Uh, the SEC is a whole nother monster from the uh, ACC. He has some experience with that, uh, but we'll see. We'll see if A and M gives him gives him some time. I hope they're not expecting the the what he did at Duke three and nine, nine and four, have a miraculous turnaround in one year. It could right. happen, but hopefully they they've tempered their expectations. But I agree with you, Darren. Mike Elko is, is a good hire for AM. Another great hire, I think, that happened is Jeff Libby going to Mississippi State. Yes. The fact that Mississippi State got him, I, I think it's great that they went out and pursued him. The the guy's pedigree is in terms of the offensive side of the ball. And and they fell in love at Mississippi state. They fell in love with offense. You go back to Dak Prescott. They fell in yeah. love with offense. They fell in love with Mike Leach's offense. They missed that this year. So now you bring in a guy like Jeff Libby who has coached under uh, offensive minds like Art Bryles and mm-hmm. Josh Heupel and Lane Kiffin. Some of the most innovative offensive minds that we've seen in recent times in college football and look at what he did at Oklahoma. Absolutely. Oklahoma's going to miss him because he, yeah. he is a great offensive coach. Now you got this guy in Starkville in one of the hardest places to coach and recruit in the SEC, and you got your guy. I think it was a tremendous hire for Mississippi State. Yeah, uh, agree completely. And, and, you know, kudos to them, even with the new athletic director, for – knowing the formula that works and sticking with it. Cause just like you, you talked about with Mike Leach and then, and then you go backwards to, to, to Dan Mullins to find an offensive mind that, that does knowing that's your formula, that's what's going to give you success. Now there was that couple of years in the middle there with, was it Joe Moorhead? Is that right? From Penn state that didn't necessarily work out, but still, if you follow your formula and it works out two out of three times, even meatloaf agrees that ain't bad. Come on, that's a great reference. Give me a little bit there. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, so, 
you know, to follow the formula and saying, in, in all seriousness, two out of three times it's worked and worked well. Uh, it, you know, we're going to keep with that formula. I give them credit. Uh, you know, in contrast, a Vanderbilt fan, I'll take a little bit of a Vanderbilt moment. The most success Vanderbilt's had in the last 20 years has been when they hired an offensive mind. So every other time, what do they do? Well, we'll find a defensive coordinator. Yeah, that makes sense. So Mississippi State is at least smart enough to know here is the formula that worked or has, at least has the greatest potential to work for us. Let's stick with it. I, I, kudos to them for doing that. Absolutely. A- another great hire for yep. the SEC, which yep. continues to have the the best personalities in terms of coaches. Yep. And I think Elko and Libby add to that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Darren, as of recording, and I want to emphasize as of recording, in case folks mm-hmm. are listening to this three or four days down the road and things have changed, what are the current openings right now? Uh, Boise State. Uh has a uh, has an opening. They have let their uh, uh, very short tenured coach go. Uh, Duke uh, obviously has an, an opening with Mike, Mike Elko. We talked about Houston, Dana Holgerson, uh, and and that uh, leaving broken hearts in Houston just like he did in West Virginia. Uh, Indiana let Tom Allen go. Uh, MTSU actually on Monday let Rick Stockstill go. He had been there since like 2000 or something. He was a very long tenured coach. New Mexico, Oregon State, obviously with Jonathan Smith going to uh, Michigan State, San Diego State, Brady Hoke actually is retiring, Syracuse, UTEP, and then also UL Monroe. We talked about, tried to remember which Bowden was at UL Monroe a couple of weeks ago, and it was Terry Bowden, but he is no longer at UL Monroe. He was over the weekend after three seasons, which is Kind of weird uh, at a program at the level of UL Monroe, but nonetheless, he was relieved of his duty. So as of recording, those are the uh, the openings that we have on the carousel for now. I wonder sometimes, Darren, if certain programs have unrealist, unrealistic expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, ULM is one of the lowest funded football programs in Division One FBS. They have one of the lowest, if not the lowest, head coach's salary. I'm not sure what they're looking for here. Uh, Indiana, yeah. to a, a, in a similar vein, you've got to start. If you're going to compete, if you want to compete at an elite level, you got to pump some NIL money into your program. Yeah. The, the college football way of operating has changed. And some programs, they have these huge – ambitious, audacious goals, but not the willingness to do what it takes to reach those. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it, it's a move that doesn't make sense, especially unless you're going to do the things you just talked about that the other, that are the other missing pieces of the puzzle that you've got to fill in first. And we don't have any indications that they're going to do anything different other than what they've always done and just let a coach go uh, with, with the name of Bell after three years. It doesn't, doesn't really make sense. And he, during those three years, brought in some very well-known coaches to serve in assistant roles. And did, for the UL Monroe level, did did well on the recruiting, you know, brought in some names that probably wouldn't have gotten on campus otherwise. Mm -hmm. Looking back on this final weekend of the regular season, as we do every week, we have takeaways based upon what we saw. Darren, 
as you look back on the slate of games from this past weekend, what's your first takeaway? Well, part of what we talked about doing this year was or, or because it was the last uh, regular season week is we're going to have kind of some common takeaways. And so uh, we talked about our, our three takeaways. Our, our first one is going to be you and I are going to share what actually ended up being a unanimous uh, uh, takeaway is the biggest surprise of the year. And when you look across the, the landscape of the SEC, I don't know how there can be any bigger surprise than Missouri football and our favorite coach, Eli. I'll let you say Drink the last wits, wits. <laughs> I, I don't know how there can be any bigger surprise, not only with the fact that Missouri is sitting here now as a 10-win team, but when you look at press conferences in the first part of the year when things weren't necessarily when they hadn't really hit their groove yet and you've got Eli Drinkwitz being frustrated because uh, their, their starting QB is, is being booed when he comes out because he didn't play well the, the previous week and stuff. And you've got all of that kind of going on. Then that smooths out. They hit their groove. And, and now here we sit with, you know, incredible quarterback, incredible running back, a great wide receiver core, not just Luther Burden and, and a 10 win Missouri and again, like the, the, to use the phrase I, I've heard and like to use, if you had Missouri at 10 wins, I, I'm going to need to see the receipts on that one because I'm not buying it. I don't know. I, I expected them to be better this year just because all the pieces were there with the potential to play out. But I don't know that I would have ever called 10 wins, uh, honestly. Uh, how about you? Yeah, Missouri was picked sixth to finish sixth in the SEC East. Mm-hmm. Think about that for a moment and look at what they've done this year. Not just Eli Drinkwitz, but you mentioned Cody Schrader. He was not preseason first, second, or third team running back. Exactly. His name is nowhere on the preseason picks for the, the three first, second, third team, all SEC. Luther Burden, who's had a stellar year as a wide receiver, his name is also noticeably absent. People not only underestimated Missouri, they looked past Missouri, and Missouri has put together an incredible season. This is a season that's going to be hard for them to replicate. Everything has just fallen into place. They had a few hiccups, the loss at Georgia, Mm -hmm. the loss against LSU. But, hey, when you were playing, you take Jane Daniels out of the mix there, they beat LSU. Let's just be honest about that. Exactly. So what a great storyline coming up from a a program that is not – the most funded program in the SEC, a program that struggles to belong in the SEC, there's still questions. Even though it's been years, why is Missouri in the SEC? Mm -hmm. Missouri is proving they belong. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I don't think you can question that at all. And, and again, I, I don't think you can question them being the biggest surprise of the year. I don't know. I don't know what, what else could even come close to showing where they started, that the expectation that that they would be better than Vanderbilt, and that was it. And now here they sit at ten wins, and and you know their only two losses are to Georgia, that now has the longest streak at thirty wins, and an LSU that had a generational talent on offense. That's a pretty dadgum good season. Absolutely. I wonder, though, Darren, you know, I was always told to start with the bad news first. 
And we started with the good news first, our most, right. the most surprising <laughs> team. So now we got some bad news for certain <laughs> fans of programs out there. The biggest yep. disappointment this season for you, Darren, who, who's the biggest disappointment? Well, I, I think it's, it's what we just talked about. If you take Georgia, pull them out, Missouri, who is our biggest surprise at 10 wins and pull them out. And even Tennessee, even though there was some regression, you can't, it's not surprising regression with the amount of talent that they lost from last year to this year. You you pull them out, and then you look at the rest of the SEC East, and I think there's a whole lot of disappointment to go around. Uh, you've got, uh, uh, you know, I'll just name a couple of things that really stand out to me, and, and you can expand on whichever ones or, or bring up some others. You know, South Carolina is not bowl eligible. Florida, Florida is not bowl eligible. Vanderbilt couldn't even win their non-conference games, only won half of those, and went winless for the second time in three years uh, in in the conference uh, and regressed backwards from two wins to absolute zero wins. Uh, those are things that are that are horribly horribly disappointing. Kentucky hits the jackpot when it comes to the the um, the transfer portal. Has a great or has a, a potential of a great receiving core and just fall short. Every time now I have an opportunity to kind of take a step, they fall short. The offense falls flat. Uh there uh Devin Leary just never developed into what everyone, especially at Kentucky, but but he, anyone that wants to see exciting football hoped he would. You know, all of those things. Well, you take that, that top three and pull them out, and it's a low, low floor in, in the remainder of the SEC SEC East. And to me, that's a that's a big disappointment. I think that's spot on, Darren. I toyed with talking about Arkansas in the West, but mm -hmm. when you look at the East, as you just pointed out, three teams that have been colossal disappointments. Florida, you don't expect Florida to not even be bowl eligible. No. Their last game against Florida State, which Florida State is an outstanding football team, but they're without their quarterback who was mentioned in the Heisman discussion. Absolutely. Florida couldn't beat them. And not only that, they made undisciplined mistakes. They had a player get thrown out of the game for spitting on another player. Yeah. Absolutely. They had had two players literally try to decapitate the Florida State quarterback yep. <laughs> when he slid and gave himself up. He had given himself up, yep. Napier still got some house cleaning to do. I hope that he is able to do that. But Florida is not where we expect Florida to, Florida to be. No. And, and Napier, I think he'll keep his job going into this season. But, boy, that seat is going to be awfully hot. Absolutely. South Carolina, I don't know what you do there. Uh, it's an electric atmosphere when you watch the mm -hmm. games. They're, they're creating something. It's not translating on, on the field. Uh, they they were in a great position. You, know, you got Spencer Rattler as your quarterback mm -hmm. to, to beat Clemson two years in a row, and, and, they, and they didn't get it done, and, and that's – we see that over and over Tennessee coming in at four and four in the, in the conference. 
didn't expect that from Tennessee and Josh Heupel no. at, at this point. No. So, yeah, I, I, I think you're right, Darren. I agree with you that we don't have to look any further in the SEC East to, to find our biggest disappointment. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. Well, now that we've just gotten that <laughs> off our chest, <laughs> let's take a breather for this week in sports history. <sighs> November 30th, 2013, the kick six heard round the world. It was the final play of the 2013 Iron between Alabama and Auburn, and one of the most shocking and memorable plays in college football history. Alabama was the number one ranked team and two-time defending national champion, while Auburn was the number four ranked team and had a miraculous season under coach Gus Malzahn. The game was tied at 28-28 with one second left, and Alabama attempted a 57-yard field goal to win the game. However, the kick was short, and Auburn's Chris Davis caught it in the back of the end zone. He then ran the entire field, eluding Alabama players, and scored a touchdown as time expired. Auburn won 34-28 and went on to play for the BCS National Championship. The play was dubbed the Kick 6, watched by over 13 million viewers. Some sports writers have argued that it is the single greatest moment in college football history. Oh, thank you. I have mixed feelings about you putting the CBS Sports Pick'em standings on there. <laughs> Paul is on that list, and unfortunately, well, actually, Paul's a good guy. I don't want to phrase it that way. I see him throughout the week, but he doesn't refer to me by my name anymore. He says, hello, number four. It's unfortunate to have a nickname of fourth place, isn't it? That's not that's yeah. not very nice at all. <laughs> the good news is we are doing picks again this week for championship week. So yep. there's still time for you to jump in there and make your picks and and maybe knock Paul off of his roost and bring him back down to earth. <laughs> I'd actually buy you lunch if you can do that. That's so, right. Anyway, and- we'd like to you to be a part of that. And and we'll our picks will be on uh, be released Thursday on our YouTube channel. Yes, we have two additional episodes coming out. This episode is released on Tuesday. We'll have our episode with Doug the Buckeye on Wednesday, which is always entertaining because absolutely not often do you get someone so delusional willing to come onto your show. <laughs> and then we have our picks, as you mentioned, Darren, that will be released on Thursday. So three days in a row with short episodes. And we'll put that out for you this week. Hope you'll take time to to watch those, comment, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Absolutely. Whatever else we're supposed to say. I don't have my sheet. <laughs> Thank you for supporting the Brew and Shaver Sports Podcast. Your go-to source for... <laughs> for silly. No, sports. I meant sports. <laughs> 
Let's get into our four down territory. You're in four down territory. Let's go. Here we go. All right. Here we go. Let's go. Here we go. All right, Darren, the real slim shady. Who is your sure thing pick of the week? Well, you know, the games are so weird this week with all of them being championships and a lot of them being championships that we don't necessarily cover. I thought I would at least start out by my sure thing pick being one that we've at least talked about the teams a little bit. I'm going to go with uh, that that school up north, uh, much to Doug's chagrin. Uh, I think <laughs> I can't wait to see what Doug has to say in two weeks after he hears about this. <laughs> but, I mean, let's be honest. I don't even have to believe in Michigan to make this pick. All I have to know is that unless it's a punter's duel – Iowa can do nothing with Michigan, and Michigan is going to win. I mean, unless Michigan decides to just turn the ball over every time and say, here, you try, uh, Iowa could, at least in that scenario, maybe figure out a way to get a field goal. Other than that, I don't see anything happening. I think Michigan's a sure thing over Iowa. What about you, Ben? What's your sure thing pick? All of you listeners out there that just heard Darren pick that school up north. (laughs) Take take the over in the Iowa-Michigan game. And if Iowa wins, we will put you on the show to give Darren as much grief as you can possibly give him. I am all in on that. I, I might even come up with something else. If, if Iowa and Michigan hit the over, I, I don't even know what to say to that. There's always the chance that Michigan might muff a punt or two now that's Which true. Could lead to a short field for Iowa. They got a that's pretty a, decent field goal kicker, I hear. That, I, they got to have something. He's sure <laughs> not offense. <laughs> I'm staying down south for my sure thing pick of the week. I'm going with the Tulane Green Wave. They're going to win, nice. clinch their championship, head to another bowl game where they're going to knock off somebody that seems to be bigger and better. Hello, USC. You remember Tulane from last year? Exactly. <laughs> I've got, I've got Tulane, uh, Willie Fritz Willie pulling Fritz. out a, another conference championship game victory and another successful season. How about your upset pick, Darren? Well, you know, let's just go with New Mexico State. They did it to – they play Liberty. They did it to Liberty last year. They've done it to Auburn this year. Why not again? I Just the fact that they can pull it off and they've proved that they're not shaken in a scenario where they're the underdog, I'm going to go with New Mexico State. I think that's the upset pick of the week. How about you? You may have contributed to three or four more additional people watching that game that weren't planning to watch that game now. <laughs> It could be. <laughs> I'm going with the with Louisville. A disappointing loss to their their rival Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were looking past Kentucky toward Florida State for this ACC championship game. Florida State has proven they they're finding ways to still win without Jordan Travis. I wonder if they look past Louisville. They're looking yeah. to the playoff. 
Louisville, it's you look at them, they lost to Kentucky. Are they really going to be a threat? I think Jeff Brom is going to rally his troops. They're going to come out ready to play, and I would not be surprised at all to see Louisville pull off a huge upset. I don't know if that clears up the playoff picture at all or muddies it even more, but regardless, I'm going to go with Louisville. Good pick. Let's talk about the brown bag pick of the week, Darren. Who you got? I'm going to go with Shane Beamer. And, and I want you I want you to hear me out. I, I'm not necessarily getting on him because he's emotional, because I think his emotion is part of what uh, makes us – it makes him have an appeal where people want to follow him and follow his program. People love the way – you know, he he's obviously uh, loves on his family, loves on the, player and the pro- players in the program. Uh, those things are awesome. But if this week or this year not going the way anyone, including obviously Shane Beamer, thought that it would, uh, he has really shown an, a, a roller coaster. Uh, and, and to me, the reason I'm, I'm saying that's a, a brown bag thing is, you know, part of the way when you're coaching, you know, young men that are 18 to 24 years old or now with COVID year 18 to 28, uh, when, when you're when you're coaching young men that are that are in that age range, you got to spend a lot of time talking about, you know, getting the bottoms out of the valleys and getting it and taking the tops off the hills and, and kind of evening out a little bit, getting back to center. You know, one of the things that Tim Corbin at Vanderbilt talks about. And when your press conferences are a um, what's the name of the dad gummit? What's the name of the roller coaster park in uh, Ohio? Cedar Point. Cedar Point Island. Okay. Cedar Point. Cedar Point. When your roller coaster or when your press conferences this year have looked like a Cedar Point roller coaster, <laughs> you were not finding a way to get back to center. You were not taking the tops off the hills and getting the bottoms out of the valleys. You are all over the place, and and I I think that as a is as a result of the the disappointment of the season that he's gone from crying to screaming to jubilation to kicking, you know, Gatorade coolers, whatever. And it's all in a very short time span. Let's, let's make that a Brown bag moment we learn from and maybe next year will be a little bit better. But to me, that that's, that's my Brown bag for the week. How about you, Ben? I'm going to go with Auburn. Mm. Every program has, horrific losses that take years to get over. That's going to be a tough one for Auburn to get over. Absolutely. You look at the, the defense that was put out there. You could always argue with it. It wasn't a bad call. The the way they had their defense set up. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe you could question only rushing two and not putting any pressure on Milrow. Of course, that's hindsight's twenty twenty. The fact that the guy that caught the ball looked like he was in single coverage. Mm-hmm. You could question what happened there. But the fact that you had a stadium full of people, Auburn had lost in humiliating fashion to New Mexico State the week before. They came back and they hung with Alabama and they had a 99.9% chance of winning that game, fourth and 31. And somehow Alabama won. That's yep. tough to swallow. It's tough for the Auburn coaches, players, and the fans to swallow. I feel for them. But I have to say, look, when you got a team down, you're winning. 
and they're down to their final play, and it's fourth and 31. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to stop that. you got to figure that one out. And I know that firsthand because I've watched one of the worst LSU defenses ever <laughs> this year. So I'm not criticizing you, Auburn. I'm empathizing with you. Exactly. <laughs> I feel your pain. Well said. Well said. I feel your pain. <laughs> Give me a saxophone. <laughs> That's where we need that intern again. Just comes in and starts playing the saxophone randomly. <laughs> Darren, what do you find for us this week in terms of the postgame quote of the week? Well, when you have the heartbreak of Auburn, on the other side is the exhilaration, well, at least for, for Nick Saban, <laughs> exhilaration. Uh, so his post-game press conference had a couple of moments where he really was complimentary of the team and, and, and referenced this kind of working out. So that's our um, our post-game quote of the week is Coach Nick Saban after that, after that Iron Bowl. Let's see what he has to say. So do I need to really say anything? <laughs> I mean, it's an unbelievable game. I guess if you're in this long enough, sometimes it goes against you in the last play of the game, and sometimes you're fortunate, and it goes for you. So I'm proud of this team to uh, come from where they were early in the season to win 11 games, uh, to win the West, the SEC West, and um, have an opportunity to play you know, in the SEC championship game, which I think is one of the greatest venues in college football. Well, that's what this team has done all year. Um, so, you know, we've come from behind many times, um, made plays when we had to make them. That's a coach that's seen just about everything and anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, and just, you could tell just so do I need to say anything? And then you could honestly kind of see the emotion in his face. You know, we've talked even on this show about this being one of his best coaching jobs ever, uh, where we're from point A to point B, where this team has been. And, and and I think you can really, when he talks about the team and, and how far they've come, and, you know, this is just kind of what this team's done all year, you can really kind of see that emotion in, in his face. And that's, like you said, for somebody that's seen and done just about everything you can do in coaching to still have that level of emotion coming off of this kind of season and that kind of win, pretty cool to see. Definitely. It's going to be an epic SEC championship game. Can't wait. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Remember to make your picks, to subscribe. We'd really like to get over 50 subscribers. We're sitting at 42 right now. That means a lot to us if you just click the subscribe button and tell someone else to click the subscribe button. Or you can create about five or six YouTube accounts and subscribe from all of them. However you choose to do it, we would greatly appreciate that. Absolutely. Like and comment on the episodes. If you like what we said, if you, there's a comment that you have, if there's something that we messed up or missed, be sure to let us know. And remember that new episodes drop every Tuesday morning, Wednesday with Doug, the Buckeye Thursday, we release the, the episode with our, our picks for the week. So three days of episodes every week until the end of this college football season. We appreciate you listening so much. So until next time, y'all take care.
Thank you for making the Brew and Shaver Sports Podcast your go-to sports show. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show if you haven't already. Your feedback is so important. Let us know what you think about this week's show. Send an email to brewandshavers at gmail.com or a text to our text line 318-390-3599. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you again for listening to the Brew and Shaver Sports Podcast. See you next week.